welcome to another episode of the Security Repo Podcast. If you work in security and you work with security teams, you'll know that we all rely on tools really heavily. But this makes it quite a challenge to make sure we pick the right tool, not only for your organization, but for the technology that you're using. But choosing tools isn't always easy. And we let's face it, we have to push past a lot of the, the bull crap that vendors put out there when they're trying to entice you. And even finding the right tool can be hard with the competitive advertising budgets and landscape that's around there. But there are some really cool innovations of making sure that we can be connected to the right tool that's going to meet our needs. And that is what we're talking about here today. So we have with us an awesome guest, James, who has over 10 years of experience in security, IT, engineering for both SMBs and enterprises. He's worked with several Bay Area startups, as well as global education and healthcare and cybersecurity clients. But today we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about his initiative and helping connect people to the right tools in security. So James, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you here today with us. Yes, very excited to be here. Thank you. I just wanted to just maybe get in there and uh, give a quick intro to the people listening about uh, who you are beyond what I what I just said, and maybe a little bit of a sneak peek at at a tool or a, or a, a app or a site that that we may be uh, talking about here today. Yeah. So uh, my name is James, as you said, and my. Really, when it comes to security, my background is through the help desk into engineering, into DevOps and cloud, and then into security later in life. And so uh, at heart, I'm really more of a dev or DevOps uh, engineer who sort of enjoys the security aspects uh, of those toolings. And so uh, what I've built in my spare time here, uh, currently I'm at PagerDuty uh, full-time as a security engineer, but I've created this list of all of my personal notes as I've done vendor assessments. If you've ever thought about like the commitment that your team makes when they embark on a vendor assessment, often a one quarter to two quarter endeavor to find a replacement tool, it's an extremely time consuming process with a lot of notes. And so I took a lot of that uh, knowledge that I had from different companies early in cloud, I was uh, privileged to work with an MDR provider. Um, and so I got a lot of hands-on experience with different technologies through that. And so I built Latio Tech as uh, so it's Latio.tech. And um, that is a place where I have just collected as much of that tooling knowledge as possible alongside other resources that's entirely free just to try to help people learn uh, cloud security first and foremost, um, because a lot of these tools exist to sort of help you learn along the way. And they take advantage by the gap of knowledge that people have when it comes to on the application security side, obviously it's its own technical nightmare deep dive uh, where not everyone can be a master of everything. In the same way in the cloud, uh, not everyone can know every piece of every cloud. So there's really a lot of knowledge gaps. And so I'm just doing my best to help point people outside of Reddit threads and G2 reviews and hunting through deep Google searches on trying to find what should I be looking at? Did I miss someone? Uh, and just really try to bring more awareness to the market to help people know uh, what the best tools are that they can get their hands on. It's just like the rest of security. Um, it all boils down to trust. How do we know we can trust this thing? And I really love that. Um, somewhere that's properly vetted. Uh, so I actually had two questions. Uh, uh, one uh, I didn't prep for, uh, but where did the name Latio come from? 
Uh, I know I yeah. probably butchered the name first time I tried to pronounce it. No, but it's it's not. Like, that makes perfect sense. It's ratio with an L. Ratio. But where did yes. that name come from? I know it's a bad name because no one has said it as Lacio the the correctly the first time. Um, can I? Everyone can I confess something? Yeah, I I purposely didn't put it in my intro because I wasn't. No, I, I noticed. Like, I, was, I assumed I that's made, what it was. I, I I made a mental note to ask you when we started. I was like, I could ask you about it, and then I I didn't, and, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to go go ahead yeah. and get you to introduce it. So thank thank you. So for that. hopefully, <laughs> it, it's entirely out of. I strongly believe that every successful tech company is two syllables. Sometimes you can sneak a third in there. Um, and then it's just abstract with a lot of vowels. So that was sort of my guiding principle. And then I started, I have a back, I have a seminary degree. Um, so I know a, a little bit, it's very, as soon as I say, I know it's too strong of a word, but I can do Greek and Hebrew stuff. So I started digging into Greek and Latin um, things and found Latio as uh, joining things together. And really, the heart of what I try to do is like help developer and DevOps teams work with security teams so that they can collaborate and actually get things done instead of having security just be this like guy that comes out with a hammer and squashes whatever cool thing you were trying to do. Um, and so that was the the core message as well as bringing all these tools together and data together. And so I just found that word as a good Latin root um, to to base it off of and looking through the site that totally makes sense that's it, it is a good name i think uh uh and a good mission and that mission is to help people do that evaluation and as you said in a little bit ago you know based on your hard work of you had to do all this scraping and digging and sharing out the world uh, that, that's the nature of open source and just can't thank you enough for doing this work out there uh, but i am curious a little more of the specifics the gears of it like do you have a, a check sheet of like uh, boxes that check off? Like, how do you do these evaluations? Uh, yeah. And the follow on to that is if you go to the Lacio, there's a recommendation tag and there's you recommend one per category. And I'm curious yes. how you drive and get to that. Yeah. I mean, those are both great uh, questions. And a lot of it's been discovered in flight because when this list was essentially like, you know, seven CNAP providers, because that's my background is more on the Kubernetes DevOps side. Um, it was very easy to have strong opinions about CNAP and like very hands-on deep dives of uh, using Sysdig and understanding why you would use it and when you would use it versus Wiz versus Prisma versus Orca and uh, everyone I don't mention who's mad I don't mention them. Um, and so the, uh, really that was very easy for me to have all this objective data to go on, on the container runtime side with the data dog versus Cystic comparisons. Like that was all very objective as obviously as the list has grown. Um, really what I try to do is I don't ever want my lack of time to be a barrier to someone being on the list. As far as it, I want people to know, cause the hardest part of figuring this out is like, when I try to find, I'm, I'm never going to find a five person startup when I'm looking for runtime protection tools for Kubernetes. I'm going to find like the big players, maybe slightly smaller CNAP players, but I'm never going to find cool startups that are doing awesome things. And I never want that to be the barrier to entries just because I didn't have time to do a hands-on evaluation of whatever uh, niche tool. Um, and so that I try to put everyone on the list in a way that matches what they would say about themselves, right? Like we focus on this thing. And so all I'll put there for the description is, you know, this tool uh, focuses on cloud runtime protection without an agent or something, right? 
Um, but then when it comes to the, the Lacio's Choice stuff, I want to combine both the vision that I've seen that makes that product stand out compared to others, um, and then combine it with some kinds of hands-on time. Uh, because it's so easy to, like, there's a tool that I can think about um, that I was so excited in the demo and seeing everything. And then you plug it in and it's like, oh, we got to go in the back end and flip, you know, six switches and then kind of, oh, look, now it's working what we showed you. And I never want that to be people's experience. And so um, the the choice recommendation, it's really close in a lot of cases. Um, and I never want people to to feel like that means that I wouldn't recommend other tools either. Because uh, I really believe that every tool on that list has a company that it's built for, that it's a perfect match for. Uh, and what what my choice is, is just the tool that I think is the coolest. Like even So just because something's high up or a choice on there doesn't mean we use it at PagerDuty. I've made arguments for tools that I've lost historically at different companies. Um, and it, because I don't, just because I think this tool is really cool uh, and doing something really unique doesn't automatically make it the best fit for my organization. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely right. And uh, it's, it can so much not only be about the technology and stacks that you use, but also the culture. And, yep. you know, some, some companies that have really deep open source culture will do better with an open source tool because they know how to fit that into, into their systems. And other people really need that plug and play SaaS, like let's, let, let's go kind of, kind of thing. So I, I, I like, I like how you do it there. And I feel like this kind of all, this all started with you kind of sharing your notes on on your you know like oh well i've done a tool evaluation you've done a tool this kind of past notes and then it's grown into you know a standalone really a, like a standalone product or, or or site itself is that is that fair is that kind of how it started yes that, i mean it, very much i was just open on linkedin with my opinion about stuff as i was going through it because so much of what i mean a lot of this site is my own personal journey as far as uh, my first, there was a job I had where essentially like my second week on the job, the CISO says the devs got the CTO's credit card. They made an AWS account. Your job is to figure out what they're doing and if it's secure or not. Um, and that's the way a lot of security people sort of fall into cloud and application security. Uh, they don't have the, the benefit of working for some giant company that already has a well-established application security program that's separate from a SOC, that's separate from their cloud security DevOps people. Um, and so as, as part of that experience of trying to go and just learn everything, it was really hard to find resources about, is, is, am I having a hard time here because the tool is really bad? Or am I like totally just missing something that I'm supposed to be doing to make this easy? And I was really helped. I finally found a video from uh, Twilio and Meta and Netflix did like an application security summit. And that's where I felt totally validated, finally realizing that everyone's drowning in all of these alerts, all of the tools do a terrible job at rolling stuff up, at telling you what's a true positive or a false positive, and just giving people that assurance of like, look, if, you, if you're struggling with drowning in CSPM alerts, like, it's not you, it's because the tool is trying desperately to give you insights that are at all meaningful, and you have to go through this painful experience of tuning it and changing it. And then giving people advice on, you know, is it worth looking at switching vendors or is this sort of you're already kind of the best that it can get. And so you're just supposed to wait and work with them to fix it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a, a great, a great, 
a, a great way of how to do it. And I just want to say for people listening that uh, I, I feel like you undersell it a lot when you describe it because it sounds like this is just kind of like a little bit of a list with your thoughts on it. This is a full-on, very detailed, uh, I'm going to call it an app because it, it has lots of like other functionality. So if you're listening to it, thinking that we're talking about a, a Google Docs or something with, with some notes, this is far and beyond that. It's really awesome. And if anyone wants to, before we forget, if anyone wants to check it out, it's L-A-T-O, L-A-T-O, L-A-T-O dot tech. Uh, we'll get you there. But I, I have a... I like ratio with an L dot tech. Yeah. Um, but but actually, before you get to that, Mac, I, I, um, to that point, um, we've been talking about this list and like the rating, and it makes it. You're right; it, we've made it sound like it's a glorified spreadsheet, and it is far more than that. You go there; it's education initiatives. It is. Well, why, why don't you tell us, James? Yeah, <laughs> the well, broader scope of just, not just rating things, but what is the broader scope you have? Yeah, uh, really, I just want uh, my goal is to. For every company on this list, I would love to have the deep dive content that I've created for some. Uh, and I have learned the hard way. I sort of started the YouTube channel on like a whim of uh, it would be really great as I'm because I'm, I'm using these tools. I'm demoing it. I'm learning about it. I'm keeping track of what they're passing or failing anyway. So I might as well like make a YouTube video out of it. Then I learned the hard way that like editing YouTube videos is the most time consuming thing you can do on the face of the planet. And then if you add motion graphics, it's like an extra layer of nightmare uh, to it. So yeah. go ahead. I was going to say we've had we've had hours of discussion about this very topic this this week. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> yeah. So I have a really good friend who's a, a, a motion graphics designer who works a lot on like video game stuff in L.A., and now I totally understand like just how he can spend a whole day, you know, making a five second graphic that like pops up on the bottom of the screen. It's insane. Um, so the YouTube channel uh, and as part of doing these in-depth reviews, the first one was with Armo because they're, they're just so easy to, to grab Cubescape from the open source community, start a free account and dive in there. Um, just started working on a YouTube video on their stuff. Didn't even tell them about it, sort of <laughs> dropped it out of nowhere. Uh, for them. And then uh, as part of that open sourcing on GitHub, my testing methodology and repository, um, which maybe if I was a, a bigger deal and mattered more, I wouldn't want to do that so that I could sort of hide it from people what testing I'm doing and they couldn't just build detections around my tests. Uh, but I don't think people care about me that much yet. Um, so we'll just open source it and run the test so people can reproduce all of the stuff that I'm doing and understand where I'm coming from when I test things. Um, and then building the newsletter is reviews around that. So the, the GitHub, the YouTube, and the newsletter all sort of go together as far as providing these in-depth uh, technical assessments on not, not just the detections that a tool does, because I think that's like half of it. And it's what security teams really over index on when they're evaluating a tool is like, what's the number of detections? But I really want to understand start to finish, what's the workflow like for actually fixing one of these things? Um, and that's where something that everybody does image container vulnerability scanning now. That's like, because everyone just uses Trivi open source under the hood and like, it just works. Um, but when you go to try to actually fix even one of those, you immediately open like a Pandora's box nightmare of trying to fix a vulnerability. Um, and so that's the, the goal when I'm assessing things is not to over index on the detection, but also think about how would you operationalize this and, uh, understanding start to finish what are what's the real use case here 
that the tool's providing value on. And then we just launched finally a Discord channel um, that I'm still experimenting with. Uh, I started it mostly because a couple of different people recommended it to me. And so we'll see uh, what comes of that. But really the, the impetus behind that was there was a post by someone recently who made this thing about how if you're a vendor, know that there's these secret Slack channels where security people talk about their experience with your tool and if it's good or not. And so it matters. And it's like, I, I don't like the idea that it's just, if you're a certain level of like leadership or something, you have these backroom relationships with people where you have these secret Slack channels where you can, uh, decide what vendor opinion is what. Um, and so really just creating a place that anyone can join. It's not limited based on your, uh, personal friendships within the industry or anything. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got a question that I've been dying to ask you, but just going on before we move on too is the other thing is when, when things open up so much, then you also get the vendors that can invest time into uh, providing their very structured, unbiased opinions of what their competitors yep. or what they are up to as well, which is a, a whole nother challenge. And but, that's, I, I, honestly, on that front, it's been really, I think a lot of vendors have become aware of that. Um, and I, I've just had the benefit of not working with the giant ones because the giant ones are all 100% going to be like that. Um, where they're just coming in with the, here's our approach to whatever problem. Um, but a lot of the smaller startups totally get that. And they just desperately want product feedback, right? They've got five to 20 real customers that are deploying them at scale. And they just desperately want people's opinion on their product. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of relationships that I really enjoy more than the, you know, how can we, uh, how many leads are you going to generate for us or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. When when we'll kind of put together some of the questions for this, one of the things that I was, you know, that we that we were thinking about is given that you have so much experience in so many different tools and this is on the top of your mind, not only in your job, but also in your spare time, with someone with such a perspective over the industry, you know, one of the things I really wanted to ask was where where do you think you know we're heading in security? And by that I mean are there any trends that you can see um, that that are really starting to take over and kind of uh, capturing large audiences or looking really cool or showing a lot of promise? Is there any is there any kind of trends uh, of where we're heading or predictions of where we might go in security security tooling? Yeah, I'm I am really torn on this question because in a lot of ways my advice and thoughts are very driven from like a hands-on practitioner perspective. And I recognize that at the end of the day, I'm not the one signing the check to give <laughs> the money to the vendor that I think is cool. Um, and so I'm, I'm always sort of balanced here where on the one hand, because of the economy, there is a strong drive right now for CISOs to make risk reduction, inclusive decisions. And the, the thing I usually say is like, no one's going to get fired because they bought CrowdStrike and then it didn't detect something, right? Like that is that and, and same with Palo, like same with all the big providers, like it is the, the low risk, safe decision to make. And so there's a lot of pressure um, as far as like, what's going to be successful, James? It's like, well, look, I don't think CrowdStrike is like my, my favorite go-to Kubernetes protection platform, but uh, is it the thing that, CISOs are most likely to buy. Yeah. Um, 
so that's that's the one trend. But as far as the the actual technical, what do people want trend? Um, I think it's become very very clear that security teams add almost zero value when it comes to being the front lines of alert management. And all I'm doing, if I'm using one of the standard tools on the the application security side, on the CSPM side, is I get a ticket saying database unencrypted. I send that to the DevOps team. I get a ticket saying SQL injection on this service. I send it to the service owner team. Me as the security person provide almost zero value on top of the tool in those instances. And so I think that whatever whatever configuration scanning happens, just the closer it can get to the developer and into their life cycle is going to be the one that's the most successful. And then providing the best amount. At that point, what's hard is a lot of these, and that, that sounds simple. I know it's very buzzwordy, but the way that a lot of these tools have been built is for security practitioners because they're the ones buying it. And they're not built for developers because developers aren't the ones buying the product. And so they end up building a ton of really great dashboards and prioritization metrics, and you can filter all this stuff and where should you go? And it's like, I don't care about any of that. I just want when the scan runs, the developer gets something that shows up to them that they can make sense out of and actually action. And that isn't something that is like this convoluted security process to try to go and fix. Um, So I think that that on the configuration scanning side, and then I think you'll more and more, I think the biggest next space uh, combined with the, someone's going to win the configuration scanning all in one solution, whatever. And then on the runtime side, that's the giant gap that there's only a couple companies that have very much focused on um, cloud, cloud security runtime protection, Kubernetes runtime protection, and if you want to add in an extra layer of the RASP, the runtime application security protection, doing that really well, only Datadog I'm aware of has a really strong presence with, with that. And it's because it's really hard, right? You have to have your developers import a library and then start instrumenting custom detections. Like it's not a lightweight implementation. So whoever can make Kubernetes and application runtime security really simple, that's sort of like my 10-year, uh, the next big thing once all of the hype around configuration scanning consolidates uh, more and more into Wiz and everyone else, um, that's sort of the way that uh, those markets are going, I think. You're really talking uh, our language. It's, you didn't use the term shifting left, but I think that's really what is needed here is like, get the security team out of the way because the developers are the ones going to do this stuff anyway. Get it in their hands, get those not just the alerts to them, but like how to fix this to them. Uh, yeah. And that's practical it, manner. The, the shift left. The reason I avoided it is just because like everyone checks those boxes now, like everyone has an IDE plugin, everyone can run in pipeline. Um, everyone s- triggers alerts on those things, but the experience of doing that is incredibly different. So like even just to use secret scanning uh, as an example, like pre-commit hooks is like the thing. <laughs> and like if you if you don't have that, it's like there's there's 80% of the functionality is gone. And the other 20%, I've only seen one provider who does it, which is actually running. Um, ev- everyone does the same thing, right? You get a secret detected. You look up the GitHub knowledge base thing on how you delete the commit history. They tell you to run that jar file uh, that I can't remember the name of right now. 
uh, that cleans out the commit history, redacts everything, and then you force push a branch in the scariest like force push of your life as you rewrite the entire commit history. Um, and there's only one tool that's actually built that process. And like that, that's the actual fix part that everyone does. So there's like, there's 10 tools that'll scan you for your, your stuff. There's like two or three tools that'll do pre-commit hook, hooks, but there's only one tool that'll actually do the remediation stuff for you. Um, and I think that that's the full life cycle uh, of why the details really matter when you're looking at these solutions. I mean, the remediation side of that, not to get, not to go down a rabbit hole with this, but like how many services are out there? How many, how can you hit one button and expect it to magically go rotate that secret, go account for it in your code, do all of the um, bunch of steps. I mean, unless you're using something that already does all the rotation and stuff for you. And then that might not be on your list. Well, that's, yeah, and that's I wasn't talking about the I was specifically talking about that like running the jar file to clean up the history part. But I mean the rotation is an excellent additional point. But um, back on point with this, uh, the trends you're seeing out there, is there anything that's you think disturbing or like any trends you see like on the negative upcoming that people should be aware of? Like, hey, watch out for these buzzwords. Watch out for them. You know, if you see see yeah. the marketing team saying this, beware. Um, everyone's in ASPM now, all of a sudden, um, which I have to imagine, like the tools that were early to market on ASPM are no longer like considered ASPM, which I have to imagine has to be incredibly frustrating for them. Um, because I, the trend that happened in that market is all of the scanning got commoditized because there's great open source options available for each checkbox of it. And so now the rush is to this all-in-one ASPM platform. Uh, and really you have to dive in. The problem with ASPM is you're basically opening such a box of vendor assessment when you do it, because you're going to be assessing an SCA, a SAS, an IAC, a container vuln scanner, a secret scanner, a SDLC health checker, uh, sometimes a DAST, maybe not, sometimes API inventory generation, maybe not. So you're assessing like eight or nine different functionalities when you assess one of those. And so it's going to be really difficult to understand end-to-end -end workflows for those. Um, so that's sort of my my warning on that front. I think the next big warning from like the the big, big Gartner CNAP type of, of buzzwordiness is the code to cloud thing. Like that is definitely coming uh, hot and fresh, whether it's like Lacework launching their SAST and SCA scanning, Prisma with the Darwin stuff. Uh, that's going to really force everyone else to start adopting that buzzword language. And what's really important to note, the question I get the most often is like, is, is it harder for the runtime guys to shift left in the pipeline? Or is it harder for the shift left guys to, to shift right into the, the runtime? And I think at the end of the day, uh, it's way harder for the runtime guys to get in the pipeline. Because the thing that they're not telling you is that along the way, the only thing that matters is developer adoption. And the odds that my developer is going to install some Palo Alto IDE plugin is like near zero because it's just so out of their wheelhouse to like get it, get into that ecosystem compared to a lot of uh, the other companies that have a much better reputation within developer ecosystems. Right. And so uh, that, that code to cloud idea is definitely the right idea as far as in order to fix a container vulnerability at runtime, 
you need to change a Docker file in your GitHub repo. Like that's what code to cloud should mean. Um, but there's going to be a lot of confusion along the way of like, what are they actually showing in code to cloud and are they making it actionable? As far as I don't care about necessarily just seeing that like this image in Kubernetes was built from this repo, but tell me how do I fix the Docker file? That's the, the key piece of information that only a couple providers really do. And everyone else is sort of doing this, like, look, now you can see the repo that your image came from. And it's like, that's sort of helpful, uh, but it's not the most, I could have just done a search in GitHub for the name of the image and found it that way too. I'm briefly interrupting this episode to talk about the security repos sponsor, GitGuardian. GitGuardian is a code security platform that specializes in detecting secrets in your development workflows and also in your code repositories. Not only can GitGuardian bring to the surface all of those leaked secrets from way back in the history in your projects, but it can also let you know when systems have been breached by using their brand new Honey Token module. Honey Tokens are fake credentials that you can put in your environments and also in your third-party tools to know when they've been compromised. GitGuardian is free for all teams with less than 25 developers. You can sign up today at gitguardian.com. All right, back to the episode. One of the things you mentioned earlier on was that, you know, like your 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 point of view isn't the point of view of the person signing the check at, at the end of the video. You're, what your specializes is, is you're on the grounds, you're dealing with the teams that are using it, you're using the, the tools yourself. But I am going to ask kind of a money question kind of here, and that is, one of the problem with security tooling is that it's stupidly expensive, particularly for smaller teams, you know, or, or NGOs or people that don't have these massive uh, budgets. And often, a lot of these these security tools have pretty high. Uh, let's call them kind of like minimum value that they that you need to have for them even to kind of talk to you or help you install it. So, what advice do you have or tools that you have? Let's say that you're either a startup or perhaps something running in something a little bit more critical, you know, like an NGO that has lots of sensitive data or, or something, but doesn't have that big budget. You know, what, what, what have you seen in kind of your dealings with that could help those types of people? Uh, what's important to keep in mind is that really the buyer in this market has a hundred percent of the power because it's a tough market. It's extremely competitive. Like if you go on the Latio list, every category has like 20 vendors in it. And they're all competing with like, you can have 20 vendors. And in reality, like they are not competing. Like I, all these times I'm asking these companies, like, are you seeing these guys? Cause they do almost the same thing as you. And like, are, are, how are you competing against them? And the answer is like, no, we never run into them because like no one knows who they are. And we're always competing against the same, like three big providers. Um, and so uh, it's a really competitive market for all of the smaller mark, uh, businesses to compete against the giant ones that have everything um, going for them. And so really, you have a lot of ability to uh, try to get them to buy out contracts, to try to get them to include extra things in the deal. Um, and, and really, they should not be quoting the same. Like if you have a startup that's quoting the same as one of the big public security companies, like that, they're probably not going to be super successful. Um, because they're, they should be coming in a lot lower than those providers at the end of the day. And so uh, really it's about, instead of, uh, I guess my, my actual advice is to 
really carefully scope the thing that's going to help you the most actually be secure. If you don't have uh, really separating, you, you should separate compliance from security in this case. Of If you're a really small team that needs to get a SOC 2, that needs to get a HIPAA audit, that needs PCI compliance, there are great point solutions for each of those things, whether it's like the Vanta Drata secure frame on the SOC 2 side, or it's, uh, and they do the HIPAA stuff too, but there's also point vendors like where I was at, at Very Good Security that does a really elegant like data aliasing solution to get PCI compliant. And so it's a one, you can just do that to get PCI compliant. You don't need to like go buy CrowdStrike and deploy it across your entire fleet to try to get PCI compliance. So then once you've done that, you can really focus on, okay, is our is our biggest issue like healthcare data in our databases? Let's really invest in like a strong DSPM with runtime to fix that problem and really stay focused on that and ignore sort of like the SAST, SCA, blah, 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 scanning. Um, and then try to like maybe implement open source to cover your bases there. Um, and so really focusing on that scope of where's the data and what's going to actually detect an attack. Um, and I think secret scanning is another great example of that kind of high value tool as far as like it's a, you can either do a simple open source implementation, you can do uh, something more uh, built out, but either way, like that's how breaches actually happen. Uh, they don't typically happen because like a SaaS detected a SQL injection that if you had fixed it, like would have saved your business or something. Uh, typically it's, it's the low level secrets, business process exploitation, and um, where the sensitive data lives in your system. Yeah, until we can get the help desk to stop doing password resets without the proper process of making sure that you are you, um, yeah. <laughs> help desk is something that I, I love to talk about every once in a while just because that's like my background. And the amount of stuff we've put on help desk is absurd, like in the modern era where they're like managing AWS and GitHub permissioning. They're managing like API and JSON files to like manage all this stuff. Um, and they're also supposed to like, you know, Bob can't plug in his monitor. And so you've got to go like crawl under the desk and plug in the monitor. Like it's an absurd range of responsibility, um, to just dump all of this stuff on that team. And that's how these breaches happen, right? Is like, they can't, you're asking someone who just graduated college, who's getting their like CompTIA A plus exam to like manage AWS permissioning in a least privileged environment. It's like, you're going to have issues with that. No, I wasn't picking on help desk. Absolutely not. They're the heroes. <laughs> they really are the heroes out there, like getting stuff done. Oh. Just people know how to abuse them, and yeah. I've got, I'm drawing a blank, but there was recently a breach where I think it was like the Zendesk chats. Maybe it was Okta. Yeah, MGM. Or, or no, the Zendesk oh, chat was Okta. Okta. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the it was a phone like, call. And then MGM. And that kind of made me realize it's like, yeah, targeting the help desk systems because you've got probably junior people working there that may be more susceptible to some kind of phishing campaign or even physical security to try and bypass them. And they have access to the system that was probably going to have lots of good, juicy goodies in there. Uh, always a fun combination. Yeah, that's the balance that I'm always trying to strike is like, I love all of this cool cloud apps at Kubernetes stuff, but the amount that an attack you have to be a really smart attacker with a lot of time on your hands to effectively exploit these sort of systems. 
versus like the things that actually get you popped are the very unsexy uh, corporate security challenges of like, can we wipe laptops remotely if they get stolen? Can we stop a phishing email if it gets through? And can we, you know, detect someone trying to get into our help desk? Do we have logical processes in place for that? And tying that back to what we've been talking about, I think, I think that's the intersection where most people are struggling with of like, yeah, I know there's a tool for this. I know there's technology that can help me do this, but we only have so many, so much time. We only have so much money. How do we go about evaluating the tool that will meet us where we are on our journey? Because everybody's in a different place in their security journey. If you can afford CrowdStrike and Palo Alto and like just throw money at the problem, sure, great for you, good for you. Um, we would love to talk to you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say for everyone else <laughs> in the world, it's like they're on that security journey to get there. And I, I really think just kind of wrap things up here. Uh, that's it's awesome that you're providing this resource out to the community to help people figure out how to get the best bang for their buck, how to secure themselves the best way they can for what part of the journey they're on. And and to know what's out there. Because even just flicking yeah. through uh, the, the like the categories that you have, you know, like finding out, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this tool also does Cest or so, you know, like something else. So, uh, so I think I think it's a great resource. Everyone should definitely check it out. One last time, l a t i o dot tech. Uh, Lashio, Lashio, Lashio. It's ratio with an L seven R. I yeah, I was thinking about that. Anyway, we are we are we are coming to the end of the show, but we do like to play a little bit of a game while before we get going, which is called best and worst best security advice that you have, and what is the worst security advice that you have ever gotten. So I wanted to start asking you with the worst. What is the worst security advice that you have ever received, heard, or given? Yeah, this was uh, early in the days of AWS. We were using a managed SOC provider and uh, we had a CloudTrail alert. We had just sent, started sending CloudTrail logs to them and uh, some poor analyst somewhere who I'm sure was just out of college and showed up <laughs> late first day uh, sends uh, a response to the CloudTrail alert saying, uh, have you checked that the Amazon Web Service is running on the server? <laughs> That's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was very unhelpful and definitely made them look bad. Uh, yeah, so. that was that's that's a, that's a, that's a bad one there. What about on the flip side then? What's 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 kind of like the best security advice that you could give people that you've received that uh, yeah that, that you have? It's something that I would have never thought to do um, because I am a very disorganized, like chaotic. I call it DevOps energy. Like I've never met a DevOps person who's like just totally like content letting just process run or whatever. Um, but I had a manager who uh, held us to the DevSecOps maturity model from OWASP and quarter after quarter would track our progress across all of the domains and getting an organizational buy-in to some maturity model like that is just the secret to unlocking funding and development because you change the nature of the conversation from What's the value of a DAS? What's the value of a secret scanner? Do we really need it? There's not money in the budget to, uh, this is on the model that we've committed to. How are we going to do this? Instead of like, should we do this? Is it worth it? Um, and so I really found that to be extremely helpful, both for showing progress, but really for unlocking funding for these tools and changing the nature of the conversation. I really love cool. that. I think that's a yeah. call out quote we can cut out or no. 
not cut out, but promote out there as a clip. Yeah. That's going on TikTok for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just started a TikTok. The Lacio TikTok will be a uh, happening soon. Doing my best with cybersecurity memes out there. So well, do- this is a good segue to ask where where can people follow you or follow Lacio or you know get You mentioned the newsletter. You mentioned the GitHub. But what are some of the resources that people can follow? Not only the project, but also you you yourself. Yeah, I mean, most of my stuff is on LinkedIn because Twitter is like way too challenging for me to just try to like do these short, plithy like, oh, you're stupid and here's why. Like, I'm not good at that. Uh, and so <laughs> the the LinkedIn is definitely where I post most of my stuff. But uh, on Latio.tech, I've updated it to just have links to all of the different things. Um, but LinkedIn for me is definitely the the easiest place where you can guarantee that I'll be posting something. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll link to all of this in the show notes. So if you want to check it out and wherever you're watching or listening, you will find links to all that was mentioned and the, the, and the recently, the recent TikTok channel uh, by James too. Uh, but anyway, James, I just want to wrap up by saying thanks so much for sharing this. And also thanks so much to your commitment uh, to the community on providing, providing this. Um, it may have started out as sharing some notes, but it's certainly grown into a beast of its own. It's really impressive, and I think the community uh, will really, really appreciates all the extra effort that goes into providing these great free resources. So thank you, and uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Dwayne, any final words before uh, we click the big red button? I No, I, thanks again. Um, and also, I love your definitions for each category. I think if someone's getting started in security out there, and they're like, not really sure how this landscape works. This is an awesome resource just in and of itself for that, uh, for like getting a quick cheat sheet style view of the world. So thank you very much for all your work, man. Thank you guys.